morning. I trust that each of you have had a good week. I hope that your year is starting off in the right direction. All right, okay. Well, hey, guess what? If it's not, I can tell you something, that today's message has the power to recalibrate any of those areas that might be off track. And if I can just tell you this, one thing that I know for sure, and that is that God's word, it serves as a guide for us, one which leads us in the steps that he has ordained for us. As a matter of fact, the great King David penned the words in Psalm 119 and 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and it is a light unto my path. How many of y'all love that verse? This is a verse that I have loved for, for many years of my life, and, and I've turned to for many different reasons. But, you know, one of the reasons that I love this verse is because of who it was that wrote it. I mean, King David, y'all know he, he hadn't always been king, right? As a matter of fact, a, a large portion of his life was spent with him living in the shadows, overlooked and underestimated. Picture this if you could. Whenever the prophet Samuel came to Jesse's house to anoint the next king of Israel, Jesse didn't even invite his son David. He invited his other seven brothers, but he didn't invite David. His own family didn't even consider him worthy to be involved in this special moment. How many of you have ever known what it feels like to be overlooked? to not even being given a chance. See, I think that many of us can relate to that in many different ways. But the interesting thing to me here when I read about David and how this happened to David is that he never once saw himself as a victim. But he was a young man that was resolute. Now, could it be that David knew that God's promises would come about in the right time? And then he trusted that God would lead and guide his every step. Now, if you know the story, you know that eventually Jesse did call for David to come out whenever the Holy Spirit had revealed to Samuel that the other brothers weren't the ones. And whenever David came out, God spoke to Samuel, and he said, this is the one. And then Samuel anointed David. But catch this. It was still another 15 to 20 years before David became king. And during those years, he had a lot of opposition. Opposition from his, his brothers, opposition from the Philistines, opposition from King Saul and his army, just to name a few. Now, why am I telling you this this morning, church? Because as you are traveling your own God-ordained destiny, you can expect distractions, delays, and difficulties. Like things aren't always going to be easy. As a matter of fact, sometimes life's just hard. But here's the key, and it's remembering David's enduring words. If you will maintain unwavering faith in God. His word will consistently light your path and guide you despite the crossroads that you may encounter. Amen? Amen. All right, that's your message before the message, okay? So turn with me in your Bible to the book of Colossians. Forgive my voice. I've been battling this thing for about a, a week now. 
Um, but I tell you, I had to get up and give you this word. I'm so excited to dive back into our Unhindered series. For those of you that are just joining us, we've been, I think this might be the 19th installment. Does that sound right? 18th installment? You know, 17th installment. Yeah, it's taken us 17 messages to get through the first three chapters of Colossians. And so now I'm excited for us to dive into chapter four. But uh, for those of you that are just joining us, we've been going uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse uh, through the Bible and just seeing what God's word has to say to us. And I want us to just pick back up with where we left off. Uh, we shared a couple of messages uh, between uh, the last time that we talked about unhindered. And I'm going to pick back up in Colossians four in verse two. We're going to just read just a couple of verses today and dissect them. The scripture says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open to us a a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I've also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Now let's pray, and then we're going to dive into this. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your precious Holy Spirit is already here in our midst. Lord, your word says, for you desire to abide in the praises of your people. And Jesus, just as we have lifted you up, we thank you that your precious Holy Spirit is already here. Precious Holy Spirit, we invite you. Have your way. Speak to our hearts, Lord. We stand against hmm, the forces of darkness. In every way that the enemy would want to keep the word from going forth, we just declare the works of the devil void, kneel, dead in Jesus' name. But now we thank you. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Lord, transform our hearts today. Renew our minds today. Give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying. We love you. We give you praise. Let our hearts just be found as fertile soil, Lord, by which the seed of your word is sown in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to get a little water. Some of y'all are hurting for me, aren't you? I can see that look on your face. Praise God. All right, well, if you were here for the beginning of this series, then you'll know that Paul wrote this letter from inside the confines of a Roman prison. And this guy's already faced an unimaginable amount of persecution. He was beaten on several instances. He was constantly on the run from those who were trying to kill him. He experienced shipwrecks on a couple of occasions. He was hungry often. He was at danger at every front. He was bit by a snake. He was stoned by his own people, yet somehow he was still alive. And I emphasize these points because these words that we're about to read right here are from a seasoned warrior. These aren't the words of a rookie, but it's the voice of a battle-hardened veteran who bears the scars of countless victories and struggles. And so when we read Paul's words, we can be confident that he speaks from firsthand experience. These weren't just truths that he were taught, but he lived them. And his life gave proof of their power. So he starts by saying, devote yourselves to prayer. Now understand that Paul isn't just merely offering a piece of advice here, but he is sharing the secret of his enduring faith and the source of his strength amid adversity. 
You see, this right here is a call for us to persistently seek God's presence. Not only when it suits us, but as an ongoing, steadfast practice in our lives. See, in today's generation, being devoted often translated is, translated is into doing something only whenever it's convenient. Or so long as there's something of personal benefit involved for us. And this modern day form of devotion tends to have a built-in expiration date with the mindset of, I'll do it as long as it serves my immediate desires and needs. But this couldn't be further from what it was that Paul is calling upon us here when he says to devote yourself. See, the word devote here in Colossians 4.2, it means to continue steadfastly. And it implies a persistent, unwavering commitment and dedication. And it's this type of devotion that Paul says that we are to have in our approach to prayer. Now, what's that supposed to look like practically? Well, first of all, it means that we actually do it. Now, what I mean is, sadly, prayer has become more of a sentiment rather than an actual action. We hear people say things like, oh, my prayers are with you. Or we see text messages or social media posts where people throw out their prayer emojis. But prayer isn't a passive expression of sympathy. It's an active engagement with the God of the universe. True prayer involves a deep, heartfelt conversation with God. One where we lay bare our hopes, our desires, our fears, all before his throne. If I can just say it this way, prayer is a time of dethroning. It's where we say to God, God, you must increase, but I must decrease. It's clearing our heart's throne of anything that occupies it. In the place of God. Leonard Ravenhill, the great revivalist in the mid-20th century, once said, No man is greater than his prayer life. I'll tell you what I know to be true about prayer. It's in the place of prayer that we are changed. But I wonder if that's why so many people are reluctant to pray. They're afraid that God is going to ask something of them that they're just simply unwilling to release. See, everyone wants to be clothed with prayer or power, but no one wants to be stripped of self. Let me say that again. Everyone wants to be clothed with power, but no one wants to be stripped of self. But prayer will accomplish both. And while we're talking about it, let me throw out one more thought. Hurry is the enemy of prayer. In our fast-paced world where time is a precious commodity, prayer often falls victim to the rush of our daily lives. We fill our our days uh, with all kinds of activities, responsibilities, really what they are, distractions. And in this frenzy, prayer oftentimes gets pushed off to the sidelines, reducing it to a hurried afterthought. But when we approach prayer that way, we miss out on the depth, the intimacy, and the transformation that prayer can bring. 
It's in the unhurried moment of prayer that we find peace, strength, and renewal. It's where our souls find rest in his presence and our hearts align with his heartbeat. See, prayer is not a task that is to be checked off of your to-do list, but rather it's to be a time of communion. It's where we pour out our hearts. It's where we express our gratitude, and it's where we seek God's guidance. It's in that place that we lay bare our vulnerabilities, confess our sins, and receive his forgiveness. But whenever we rush through prayer, we miss the opportunity to hear God's gentle whisper. So when Paul said to vote, to devote yourself to prayer, that's what he's talking about here. It's a commitment to slow down, to persist in prayer, to prioritize prayer, and to cultivate intimacy with God. And in so doing, we'll find that prayer is not only a duty, but a delight. Amen? So we're to devote ourselves to prayer. And then Paul goes on to say that we are to be alert in prayer. Now, what's it mean to be alert in prayer? To be alert means that we are to be watchful. Just as a soldier on guard duty remains vigilant for any signs of danger, being alert in prayer involves watchfulness. It means that we are to have a keen eye on the spiritual realm. I don't think that I have to work hard to convince you guys that we are engaged in a spiritual battle. Amen? The Bible, Bible teaches us about spiritual warfare and how that there are uh, forces of darkness that will try and combat God's work. Well, we must be vigilant and discerning, ready to stand strong against any opposition and use our authority, which is in Christ. You guys do know that in our prayer times, it's not just about us bringing our prayer request. You know that, right? And, and bringing all of our needs before. I mean, like, thank God we can bring our needs before God, and God wants us to bring our needs before him. But prayer is also about us waging war in the heavenlies. It's about us engaging in kingdom advancement. Now, just to get practical for a moment, one of the things that we're to do in prayer is that we are to lift up those who do not know Christ. We need to be praying for that, church. I don't know how often you pray for souls, but we need to be praying for souls. The Apostle Paul, he models this very thing for us in Romans chapter 10 and, and verse 1 when he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer. So it wasn't just, oh, man, I really wished everyone would come to know the Lord. No, he also prayed. He said, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. That means that we're to stand in the gap, believing for people to come to know Jesus. That we're to intercede on behalf of our friends, our family, and even strangers, believing that the Holy Spirit will work in their heart and bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And I don't know if you realize it or not, but whenever you actively engage in the battle for souls, it's a powerful act of both love and warfare. Another thing that we're to do in prayer is what's called binding and loosing. It's okay if I just take teacher role instead of preacher role this morning? 
but this is important stuff. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 18, verse 18. He says, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Now, I want you to grab a hold of what I'm telling you, church, because I hope that you don't hear what I'm saying and saying, oh, well, that's good. That might apply to you, pastor. That might apply to, 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 to Lurie. That might apply to one of the elders. No, that applies to you as a believer, what we're talking about today isn't for an elect few, but it's for all who have faith in Christ. So I want you to know that what I'm saying to you right now, reading the words of Jesus, this is for you. He says, truly I tell you. Come on, say me. That's right. He's talking to you. He says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Praise God. My chest has stood out a little stronger. Not because I'm something, but because he's something, and he is in me, and greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Hallelujah. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You see, being alert in prayer, it also means understanding the authority that we have in Christ. We can bind the forces of darkness that hinder the gospel from entering people's hearts, and we can loose the power of God to work in their lives. And again, this isn't a passive stance, but it is a proactive exercise against spiritual opposition. Another thing that we're to do is to pray for more laborers. Jesus tells us to do this very thing in Matthew 9, 38. We're to ask God to raise up Workers who will share the gospel effectively and make disciples. I said and make disciples because, friends, you and I, outside of a pastor's role here behind the pulpit and visiting with people and praying with people, as a believer, just like you, we are called to make Jesus known, right? To know him and to make him known, to make disciples. To pour into people's lives. Jesus said for us to pray for more laborers. To pray that God would raise up workers who would make disciples. Now I want us to go back and I want us to read verse 3 of Colossians 4 one more time. Because Paul starts by telling us to be devoted to prayer. Then he tells us that we're to be alert or to be watchful. But then in verse 3 he says this. Praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up for us a door for the word. See, that's what we're talking about right here. Now, I want you to grab hold of this. First of all, the Colossians, I don't know if you see it this way, but really, they're kind of like Paul's grandchildren. And I don't know if you remember, I shared this at the beginning of the series, but Paul had never actually met the Colossians in person. Like, these were his disciples' disciples. That's a beautiful thing, by the way, whenever you find someone that you've led to Christ and that you've discipled, and then you see them go and multiply that in other people's lives. It's a beautiful thing. Yet here, we see Paul asking them to pray for him and to pray for his ministry. Now, when I first read that, I thought, oh, okay, and, and I almost went on to verse 5 and continued on, but the Holy Spirit pulled me back. Because I think there's a few things here that, that it teaches us, some, something that's really significant, and it's this. It tells me that their prayers 
were powerful. Their prayers were significant. Now, I don't know what went through the Colossians' mind whenever they first read Paul's letter, but you could just imagine the sense of responsibility and the joy that must have been there whenever they read about Paul asking them to pray for an open door for his ministry. Actually, I think I do know what they were thinking because you know what? I think that I've had maybe some similar thoughts that they may have had. Thoughts like, really? Like me? You want me to pray? See, I'm sure that there are probably some of them who thought, but I'm a nobody. Like, what difference is my prayers going to make? But watch this. Paul wasn't just throwing out a meaningless request. He knew the power of the saints' prayers. Now, I tell you this because I want you to know that your prayers are powerful. And the devil would love more than anything to convince you that they're not. I mean, why else do you think that Paul asked the Colossians to pray for an open door? And Jesus told us to pray for laborers. Because they both knew the effectiveness of prayer. Church, can I just tell you how to make the devil mad? Pray. I'm telling you, there's nothing that makes the devil squirm more than when God's saints pray. See, we don't need more systems, more programs, or more events. We need more prayer. Paul asked the Colossians to pray for God that he would open a door for him to be able to share the word. Now, all prayer requests aren't the same now, are they? I mean, like, there are a lot of people who pray, but asking God for the numbers of the Powerball isn't the same thing as asking God to use you. I know that some of you are like, but can't God do both? <laughs> well, <laughs> God's God, so he can do whatever he wants. But, but why would we settle for the Powerball numbers over God's desire to use us? A billion dollars won't make you happy. Y'all ever seen George Soros? He ain't happy. Okay? <laughs> Paul asked the Colossians to pray for an open door. Now, do you think that Paul had already prayed? Absolutely. Of course he had. See, this tells me right here that not only do I need to pray, but I need to come into agreement with other believers in order for some doors to be open. Amen? Some of y'all need to get together with some other believers and start praying over that thing in your life that you have yet to see manifest. I mean, hey, imagine if Paul had just thought to himself, well, I don't want to bother the Colossians with my prayer request. Hmm? Or what if Paul just thought, well, you know, I am the apostle Paul. I mean, God certainly hears my prayers. But see, watch this. It's not about God hearing your prayers or, or not hearing your prayers. It's about us coming together in agreement and praying. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 19, if two of you, not one of you, but if two of you come together on earth about anything and they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Parents, who still have children at home, you should get together with other parents and come together in agreement in prayer over your children. 
those of you who have a healing that you need to see in your life, get together with someone else who also needs a healing in their life and pray in agreement and watch and see what God does. Listen, we often talk about wanting to see miracles in the church, but if we're going to see miracles, it's going to first start in the place of prayer. Let me share with you another facet of prayer that maybe you have not considered. Prayer will unite our hearts with one another. Now watch this. This is huge. I mean, absolutely huge when you see the implication of what that means. In the book of Psalms, chapter 133, it speaks of the power of this unity. And it says this. It says, behold. You know, every time the Bible says behold, it's kind of like, hey, pay attention, right? Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Now, did you catch that? You see, there is a definite connection between unity and the outpouring of God's Spirit. And catch what it says there when it says, there the Lord commanded. He didn't say a blessing. You see, any time the Scripture speaks of the blessing, because you can say a blessing, and you know someone goes out and buys you lunch today, and bless God, that's a blessing, right? But any time we talk about the blessing, we're always talking about the outpouring of God's Spirit. And the Bible says that whenever we come together, united in heart, that there would be an outpouring of God's Spirit. And what's the bond between the unity and the outpouring of God's Spirit? Prayer. Charles Finney once said, Nothing tends to more to cement the hearts of Christians than praying together. Never do they love one another so well as when they witness the outpouring of each other's hearts in prayer. Coming together with other believers in prayer, you know what that does? It takes us back to our first point in our message today. It changes us. And I can tell you what I know is true of all of us in this room. We all have need of change. Because there's not one of us in this room that has arrived. Paul in Colossians 4.4 4, he also asked the Colossians to pray that he would speak forth the mysteries of Christ. In verse 4, he says, that I may make it clear in the way that I ought to speak. Now, again, this is the Apostle Paul, a very highly educated person. But he did not consider himself as having arrived. But he knew that there was still a greater work that God wanted to do in him. And so he asked for the prayer of the saints. Let me ask you something, church. What is it that God desires to do in your life in 2024? Hmm? If you don't know, then pray. If you do know, then pray. And then once you pray, then obey.
See, when you know that God loves you, you should never question a directive from him. His way is always right. It's always true. It's always best. When he gives you a directive, you're not to observe it, discuss it, or to debate it. We are to obey it. But when we have an active, authentic prayer life, obedience becomes a delight. Are you with me? Now, that doesn't mean that it's going to be easy, but watch this. Something can still be hard and be a delight. I'm going to leave you with one last thought. You cannot obey God without your obedience spilling out as a blessing to those around you. Your obedience to God has the power to affect those in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your church, and even in your family. You know how I know this to be true? Because someone obeyed God and told me about Christ. And as a result, when they told me about Christ, Jesus became my Lord. You know, I think that if today's message had a theme, it would be to pray and to obey. And church, I'm convinced that if we will do those two things right there, that there will not be a building big enough in the city of Jacksonville to contain the amount of lives that will be changed. Amen? I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet with me if you would. Ends a little early today because we're going to do communion here in a little bit, all right? I said I had one more thought, but it's okay if I give you a bonus. <laughs> Watch this. <coughs> Prayer is simply the exercise of drawing upon the grace of God. Let me say that again. Prayer is simply the exercise of us drawing upon the grace of God. And what I would like to do now is I would like to invite anyone who would like to receive that grace in their life, and maybe you've never received it before. Maybe you've never received the love that God offers. And friends, can I just let you know that God offers his love to us. He offers it to you this morning. You know, there's never a message that I ever want to give without giving someone the invitation to receive the love of God. And we receive that by putting our faith in the person who paid the price for the sin which we all owe. We all have a sin debt. You have a sin debt. I have a sin debt. Anyone in this room perfect? Anyone else think they can get in to heaven on their own good deeds? Nope, you can't. I can't. None of us can. That's why Jesus came and paid the price so that you and I could have the promise of heaven. Not only that, but so that we could be filled with this precious Holy Spirit to have the peace that surpasses understanding, to have the joy which is unspeakable and full of his glory. I believe that this morning God brought someone here that you're not in right standing with God. And I want every person looking at me just for a moment. God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his son to pay the sin debt that you owed and that I owed. And this morning, I believe that God brought someone here today to hear this message, that today your life can be changed. What you are looking for, it's not in a bottle. It's not in a pill. It's not in a, well, I say it's, in a, it's not in a relationship. It's not in a relationship with a, a, a human person. 
but it's in a relationship with God. You were created to be in a relationship with God. And watch this. Until you connect with that, until you connect with God in that relationship with him, you're going to continually try to find things to throw into this God-sized cavern. And I say it's a God-sized cavern because only God can fill it. If you're here this morning and you're not in relationship with God, I want to invite you right now to pray with me. And all you have to do right now is put your faith in Jesus Christ, recognizing your need for him as Savior. And friend, today he will save you. You say, what do you mean save you, Pastor? That means that, first of all, you get the promise of heaven, the citizenship of heaven. That's pretty good news considering the alternative. Because can I tell you something? There's two places that we're going to spend eternity. Every person in this room, we're going to spend eternity in either a place called heaven or hell. And the only way we get to go to heaven is through the person of Jesus Christ and faith in him. That is the only way. So if you want to put your faith in Jesus Christ and have the promise of heaven, purpose for living, I want to invite you to pray with me right now. Saints of God, those of you that have prayed this prayer, we're going to all right now just confess Jesus as Lord. The Bible says this. It says if we will confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, if we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we would be saved, that we would be whole, that we would be complete. So pray this prayer out loud with me, especially those of you who says, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Pray out loud. Pray, Lord Jesus, I confess my need for a Savior. I ask you, Jesus, be my Lord. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to turn from it. Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. That you died on the cross for the sin of the world, for my sin. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the grave just as your word says. Now I want to live my life to know you and to make you known. In Jesus' name, amen.